I think my advice to people who want to try this is gain experience first. And in that journey of gaining experience, find co-founders, people that you can like trust and believe in. Welcome to Low Wagon Live. Our guests today are Roger Dudler, founder and CEO of Frontify, and Christian Reber, founder and CEO of Pitch. Roger was previously a software engineer and product designer for over 10 years before leading his organization to the forefront of brand management with a powerful and holistic cloud-based experience. Christian previously founded the award-winning app Wonderlist and is now an active investor and advisor in a number of technology businesses. He's also received the Forbes 30 Under 30 Award in both 2014 and in 2016. Find out more about their individual entrepreneurial journeys and how their professional relationship evolved. So first of all, thanks for having us. I think it's always a pleasure to, uh, you know, to talk to students and people who are, you know, maybe one day also want to start a company. So I think that's always a huge opportunity. So I'm Roger. I'm the founder and CEO of Frontify. I, I founded the company back in 2013. So it's already a long time ago. Um, still feels like it's all fresh, but uh, for some reason, it's already a long time ago. And I'm I'm a father of a six-year-old and live here in St. Gallen in Switzerland. And um, I'm originally a software guy, so I'm a developer and a little bit of a designer, I would say. Not like professional, really, but I like it at least. And yeah, turned into being an entrepreneur and uh, and we built uh, Frontify. So it's not only me, it's now like 300 people who built a brand management platform, which we're not going to go into detail today, but we serve lots of great brands out there. Uh, the likes of Lufthansa or Bosch, lots of other big brands to make it easier for them to manage the brand and make sure that everyone within the company and around them uh, can stay on brand in a very easy and fun way. So that's in short uh, about me. Thank you. And uh, Christian, if you can please introduce yourself as well and tell us a little bit about Pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And like Roger said, uh, it's always a huge honor to talk to young folks, students uh, around the world. Um, and hopefully we can share a few learnings to inspire uh, one or the other to, to start an iconic software company. Uh, so uh, I'm a founder, 36 years old. Actually, 35. My birthday is on Sunday. <laughs> Ooh, already uh, drunk right now. And uh, started a couple of companies in my life, uh, software and, uh, and design agency, multiple startups. Uh, one of the most well-known companies so far has been Wonderlist, uh, which was uh, a leading task management software. Um, we had... I don't know, 16 million users roughly at the end. And we sold that company to Microsoft in 2015. Since then, I um, occasionally start new companies like Pitch, for example, uh, where I'm also the CEO. Uh, it's a presentation software company for modern teams. Uh, also started an unofficial successor to Wonderlist, which is called Superlist, uh, which is not launched yet, still in the making. And I also... Um, invest in startups, uh, preferably early stage companies. So I invested in Notion, for example, or Lilium and many others, I think now almost 50 different companies 
uh, and yeah, I just love uh, innovating and, and building cool stuff. So that's me. Great, thank you. And then uh, you've both been in the industry for, for quite a few years now. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and sort of your journey into the world of tech? I guess I'm a uh, I'm a little bit like like Roger. I also have a background in software engineering. I never studied engineering. I actually uh, just taught it myself. I was my my mother got a computer at home, and I I just had a passion for destroying the computer and like uh, fixing everything on my own. And I think the first operating system I worked with was DOS and Windows three eleven. Um, had a fun time. I actually got into programming because I wanted to remove copyright systems from computer games. Uh, so, like, I started writing my own cracks. Uh, Zero to, burning room. Yeah, exactly. Those were the good, good old times. Um, and I, I kind of like. I'm not sure if I should say this publicly. I, I started selling CDs with computer games and. Uh, I was a gamer and, and super nerd, and all of a sudden I understood, hey, I could actually write my own stuff and write my own my own software. And I uh, had an idea. The first idea I've had was to write a program that would turn a USB stick into something like a car key for computers. So basically, I, I tried to read the hardware key of the USB stick, make it a unique identifier, and then whenever the car key is in or the USB stick is in, the computer works. If, if you plug it out, it stops working, and it basically just shows your computer is locked. Uh, I wrote that software within a year during school days um, and then put up a website, started selling it online, and uh, that was my, my path into the world of creating and distributing software globally. And uh, since then, it, it never stopped. Um, so I, it's, that's really just what I'm, how I get into this. Roger? Yeah, kind of. Uh, it's interesting that we both fall. What did you say? Like you turned 36 or 35? Yeah, 36. 36. So I'm turning 39. But similar time, you know, like uh, was was kind of a similar similar time back then. So uh, for me, it was like when using uh, floppy disks with uh, uh, Day of the Tentacle, uh, which was a game back then, which was very a lot of fun, or or Monkey Island and things like that. So that was also the time when I started to play around with computers for the first time. And and when you get like these back in the days, there were these CDs that you get in the in the mail. Uh, from AOL and the likes, <laughs> where you can have like 15 minutes or so of internet. And then you had your modem uh, making weird sounds. <laughs> and then you were connected and then you could do some stuff. So that was the time when I started to get in touch with computers. And, and I did then in Switzerland, we have this apprenticeship. So I did a, a, a four-year apprenticeship as a, as a kind of it was called like a system engineer thingy. There was only one apprenticeship available for that kind of computer stuff. So I did that. So I had to learn pretty much like how to build a computer. How does the CPU work and motherboards and RAM and graphic cards? So built those computers by myself and learned how the whole underlying things work. And that was really fascinating to me. And then I started also similarly to you, Christian, to learn coding by myself pretty much uh, because I just enjoyed it and then yeah and then I got my feet into building software at companies after that I didn't I studied for uh, I think nine months and then I stopped because uh, 
I don't know. I did. Uh, I did. Uh, I went to a company and did a trial for a week, and then I said, like, they they asked me if I want to start working there instead of coming for an internship in the summer, and I was like, hmm, that's the thing that I wanted to do this study for. So, yeah, why not do this now already? Because I have what I wanted. Anyway, so I went into that, and then I went to a few companies, built software for government, I built software for weather company you know, analyzing uh, forecasts and satellite images and stuff into web development and then, um, and then found it. Found it fine. Okay, thank you. Um, so now flash forward a, a few years, I guess. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, Pitch and Frontify and how you uh, came up with the, the companies themselves? What inspired the concepts behind them? Yeah, I, I, I may go first. <laughs> Do it this way. Um, so for me, it was like not this classic, uh, you know, I was in the garage and bing, there was this amazing idea. And, and then I did that and was successful. So uh, it was a little bit more, yeah, more boring to some degree. Um, so I was working at a digital agency, I was doing some work for, for websites and stuff. And I got like, um, you, you always get these um, designs from the design team and you get specifications, how you should do things. So I got these PDFs, which showed like how I should do things, you know, the color codes and, and the designs and every, everything. And I was looking at it and I was like, hmm, if they would deliver this to me in a structured way, then I could just transport that into code because, you know, it's all there. But they made it up in a very beautiful PDF that was actually not useful at all to me. And I still had lots of questions to clarify. So I thought, let's build a platform that kind of allows me to clarify my questions and make this data structured. Um, so for those who are coding, uh, you can relate to that, that you're probably having a structure uh, thinking mind. I don't know. I It's something I really like. So... I built this little tool that helps you to just upload stuff and then you can add comments and, you know, collaborate with each other. So I brought together the, the design people, the tech people and the business people. And that eventually led to something um, successful internally first. And then there was like a few thousand people uh, on the internet that tried it out and found it useful. And then I said like, okay, that's maybe enough signal that probably more people in the world need something like that. And, 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 and then I started to build that. Uh, I was alone for one and a half years trying to build a product out of it. That was challenging to some degree. Um, and it wasn't so successful. So it took us like three years on or longer to then transport, transform into what we are today, you know, like pivot, listen to the market, listen to the customers and then uh, turned it into a more what we are today, which is a brand management platform. Awesome, cool. Uh, yeah, so the my journey uh, took a lot of different directions. I mean, originally, I, I as I said, I got into programming by like trying to crack my own games. Um, then I built this little tool that turns USB sticks into car keys. Then my mother forced me to study, uh, which I never was interested in, uh, but I did it anyway. Um, and I moved to Berlin. And in Berlin, I uh, accidentally started a, a, a company. So accidentally, I, <laughs> accidentally. So I had an idea. So I guess I'm one of those 
people that just constantly annoys others by coming up with spontaneous ideas. And one of the ideas I've had at that time was to build an online music player um, powered by the YouTube API. So like I took the music from YouTube, uh, built a media player uh, that was before, before Spotify, and basically I stole the music Uh, from YouTube secretly and and played music for free on the web. And I put that online. Uh, I think the company was called Muccelli from like musical Muccelli. And uh, we had hundreds of thousands of users very quickly because free music on the internet. And I got so scared that I do something illegal here and started uh, to, to found a company, like borrowed money from my mother and said, like, I need to start the company. So otherwise I get like bankrupt personally. Um, and then I met an investor who said like, we love what you are doing. You seem to have great traction. Um, can we invest in your company? And I said, no, but you can buy it if you want to. So I sold that company for very little money, but I was able to afford my own car uh, and to start the next company. And the next company was an agency business where we decided to just work for other startups and help them build their products. And thereby we have learned to work together. Uh, we kind of like also found each other as co-founders um, and we we gained experience in like writing software, des- designing products, designing websites, designing brands. And then in t- late 2009, all my clients went bankrupt at the same time. So I couldn't afford uh, salaries. I had a team of almost 20 people and thought like, Jesus, how do I maneuver myself out of this? Um, and remembered my early days where... I wrote software and sold it on the internet. Um, And at that time, companies like uh, Evernote and Dropbox were really popular. Uh, And I thought like, man, there must be an opportunity to build something like Evernote and Dropbox, but for tasks. So completely cross-platform, free uh, freemium business model, and I just sell like a team edition uh, on top of it. So I wrote the software in six weeks together with my co-founders, put it online, and it completely exploded. It it really was an overnight success in a way. Um, And we built a company around that. Then we sold the company uh, to Microsoft, and then I spent two years at Microsoft as an unemployable person because I just came up with new ideas and no one believed in it. And uh, so I left Microsoft and uh, approached my my former Wunderlist co-founders. Um, again, like I asked them, do we want to start something new? And we brainstorm ideas uh, very openly. And what we understood about ourselves was that we have a huge interest in well-crafted, well-designed software. So we were looking for for a product that we can build where we can bring something unique to the table. And um, because we were at Microsoft, we understood how big the presentation space is with hundreds of millions of installations, potentially billions of installations. And I just thought like, man, these tools are so outdated. It's unbelievable. Uh, Nothing is on brand. You don't have, uh, you don't even have like nice uh, seamless desktop applications, sharing presentations is hard. And uh, that's how Pitch started. Uh, we, We developed this idea to build a kind of like modern next-gen presentation software for for modern teams. 
and uh, build a few unique things into it, uh, which are hard to explain. We have stuff like real-time data integrations, live recordings, live video, and uh, lots of cool stuff. And yeah, that's uh, that's how Pitch started. Uh, it was a fun journey. <laughs> Great, thank you. Um, and then within our audience today, we have uh, lots of future entrepreneurs. So I think it's it's of interest to them to find out about what sort of obstacles they can expect to face or what sort of obstacles maybe you faced at the early stages of your companies? Uh, so I think writing, uh, I mean, there are so many obstacles. It's unbelievable. Like uh, <laughs> starting a company, actually being successful at, is, at it is, is incredibly un, 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 unlikable, uh, totally unrealistic. Um, so I, I, I was at a founders event once where also a university where they asked me like how what what kind of advice would I give for for people who are interested in starting a company and I said uh, don't do it uh, go, look for a job go into a, a, like join another startup ideally at an early stage and gain experience uh, I've literally went through every possible disaster of like losing co-founders, um, building the wrong thing, building horrible technology that doesn't work, uh, running out of money. And like, if you, if you don't want to go through these things, gain some experience elsewhere. And I would have loved uh, to maybe before I started my entrepreneurial career, maybe to have worked for Apple or Google or Facebook even at the time. And just any, any like technology business where I could have learned how to run teams, how to build software, how to design stuff, how to collaborate. <clears throat> so I think my advice to people who want to try this is gain experience first. And in that journey of gaining experience, find co-founders, people that you can like trust and believe in. And then your only job is to, uh, is to find something that uh, really works well for you, a, a product uh, or a project that you can be incredibly passionate about. And uh, then you need to be persistent and really believe in it and be able to to sell that idea and vision to others to, to attract top talent. And the rest will just work out magically itself. So yeah, gain experience as quickly as you can. Uh, one thing I've read in a book once was work to learn, not to earn, which was a motto that I've lived by in my early days. Uh, just don't care about money. Uh, in, especially in your uh, early 20s, you have nothing to lose. So basically, you work for free for the best companies you can, you can find uh, if it's necessary. Um, and yeah, learn as much as you can. Yeah, I think that's... Uh... I think you already covered a lot. <laughs> I think you could, uh, you know, talk hours about those, those stories because I think they are super beneficial to, to, um, yeah, to understand because you tend to hear like only because time is always short. You tend to hear mainly the, the success of a store, like the success of a company and that part of it. Um, I think I, I don't want to repeat all of that. I mean, we've been, I think, fortunate to some degree that we didn't have like these super disastrous things we ran into. I don't know if it was because of um, the mentors that we had in the early days who were, yeah, kind of maybe early 
giving us signals that we should be careful here and there. And so, so I, I, I can't think of like this very clear, like big, 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 big super mistake, um, that we did not, not because we were super clever or something, but I think it's just more that we tend to, um, think through it a long time, you know, like we're a little bit too careful sometimes, you know, like talking to lots of people, figuring it out first, thinking all the cases through until we make a step. So that makes you a bit slower, but then also maybe a bit less, uh, yeah, you run into a little bit less problems. And, but I think it's, it's, um, I can only say the same thing. I think it's incredibly hard to build a business. You know, it's, I think something that I learned is when I started off, I thought, it's just fun to build a company and I'm passionate about the topic. And, uh, I, I said to my brother, I will never have more than three employees. So it's like in my mind, it was like a utopia to one day have like a, a huge company, you know, like huge. Yeah. In our world, big, but, um, it's, it's something that you need to realize when you are successful, this is going to be a long journey. If you're not successful, it's going to be probably short. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, if it is successful, it's not going to be for a year or two, most likely. So you then have a company to run. You know, you have people that uh, buy into your vision and you have to develop your leadership skills. You have to develop into something. You know, you have to, in my, in my case, it was a long process to learn uh, the shift from being a creator and a maker you know, like Christian described it, like having ideas day in, day out, which I still have, but then also you want to build them right away, right? So you have to learn that um, you actually have a team that is much better than you in, in those things. And you need to learn what is your role in that future company. So you become the leader of that company. And today we have a few hundred people. So my job is mainly being, a, I don't know, a psychologist probably. <laughs> or something like that. So it, it changes extremely what, what you do in the beginning and what you do later. And I think you should be mindful that you're in for the long run. So you shouldn't choose something that you just want to do because you want to, you know, build a company for the sake of building a company, but really have a topic that you're deeply connected to. Then I think it's easier. And my mistake was, or my main mistakes were probably around yeah, I don't know, probably around people when, when it's about like, I think when, when you grow bigger as a company, and I think we did a great job in the beginning hiring the right people that are culturally a good, a good extension and a good fit in general. Um, but then later on, I think we struggled always like because we're so nice that sometimes we take way too long to make changes and way too long to correct certain things. Um, so that's something that, uh, I think made us slower and made us a bit, yeah, that was definitely, uh, uh, something to make better next time. But I would agree with Christian. I think the case that we had, like being lucky to not have a ton of mistakes in the beginning was pretty much luck. Um, I think it's definitely better to go and join another company, even if it's just for a few months to see how, how that environment works, because it's so different. Uh, to a classic environment, I would say. Okay, thank you. Um, and then maybe you can tell us a little bit more about how Frontify and Pitch kind of came to work together and uh, and how the two companies relate to one another. 
Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm probably one of the biggest fans of pitch out there. Um, you know, when when I saw it for the first time, I was like, finally, someone does it. Um, so I think it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, like it, it basically uh, gives relief to everyone in the in the, that is a little bit designy in the presentation world. And I think you know you see that Christian and the team, I think, did that already one day you know like you you can feel that how much craft and how much um you know attention to detail is being put into the product and i think nailing um a product-led company which which in the in pitch's case that's definitely the case is super hard i mean it, it's always easy to think like i build a product that everyone wants so the whole world wants it and um, you know we're just building it and then everyone buys it and uses it, but it's super hard because there's obviously a ton of options out there. There's, you know, you first need to be seen in that whole crowd of solutions. So I always hunted for those new tools and, you know, new startups. So I was seeing that really, really early and then brought it into the company. And I think, yeah, for everyone who have used, we used Keynote and, and uh, Google Slides before because PowerPoint we're not like an office company. And then uh, we we use Keynote because it can do custom fonts, you know, because if you want to be on brand, you need fonts. So Google Docs, uh, Google Slides cannot do that. So it was ruled out. And, and so we used Keynote, but Keynote is also a clumsy little thing that never developed really. And so then finally, uh, Peach came to the rescue uh, and made something that is actually, you know, collaborative in the cloud. You have all presentations in one place. It's beautiful. It's fun to use. Everyone loves it at Frontify. So we're big fans. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. I got goosebumps while you were talking. Um, yeah. So uh, I think um, you really were one of our like first uh, beta users and provided so much useful feedback. And I think for us, the opportunity was to partner with uh, a company that stands for brand consistency and brand excellence um, and also is a leader in this space. Uh, so, of course, for a small company like Pitch, partnering with a, with a great, uh, very mature late-stage company like Frontify, we only saw huge, huge benefits. And I'm very proud and honored uh, that we fulfilled your <laughs> fulfilled our promises <laughs> let's say and uh, I think the relationship kind of started uh, as like us being a traditional software vendor and and frontify being a hopefully satisfied customer but obviously we see a huge opportunity for for deeper relationships or deeper partnerships, I should say. Um, our goal as a company, of course, is to help um, teams to stay on brand, stay, uh, create consistent decks, create beautiful decks. So uh, I think exploring deeper deeper integrations with Frontify makes uh, is is quite obvious for us. Yeah, we should integrate finally. But we talked yeah, working on it. <laughs> also I think I wanted to add something which I really found um interesting because um and I think it's a good advice also to the audience. In the case of Pitch um you did uh I think so far one large case study which is the one with us mm -hmm. and we're really 
fortunate that we've been chosen to do so. I think this is a, a relation that you always want, right? You want actually a customer to be proud to be used as a case study from this yeah. other company that you admire. And the other thing is you, you invested a lot into one case study, which I think is interesting. So when you build a product and you start having customers and you start being successful, you tend to also then start to talk about all these cases and you, you do stories and stuff like that. And in the case of pitch, you did one and you did it really extensive and really, you know, like pro, pro, pro quality. Mm. And you reused it a ton of times. I hope it's successful for you. I don't know the numbers, yeah, but um, I assume from my perspective that it is. And so my, my advice would be to really concentrate more on few case studies that are really, really top-notch quality because then you will have other customers yeah. who think like, yeah, I mean, I see, yeah, we're in as well because these guys obviously do it really well. So they will show us in a good light. Mm -hmm. um, really important. I'm not saying we're completely not there, but I'm saying like we could have done that better. Mm -hmm. So and I think it's a great example of how you can do those cases uh, really well. You're, so you should check it out uh, when you have the time. Um, and then maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your customers and what sort of teams uh, use the different products that you offer. Sure, I can I can uh, go ahead. So we've officially launched uh, Pitch in October. Was it October 2020? Um, we now uh, have around 180 employees, um, uh, hundreds of thousands of customers. I think the latest numbers we've communicated were 250,000 workspaces being created and like each workspace can be a small or bigger team. And the feedback is really uh, overwhelmingly positive. I don't like to name drop with all sorts of customers we have because we have basically individual users or small teams or larger teams at like almost all companies that are relevant in our industry. But what I really try to focus on is, uh, is building great relationships uh, with some of those customers that really thrive with pitch um, and really buy into the vision and goal we have. Um, so what we what we really want to enable companies is to to like get get out their best thinking, like their best ideas, their best uh, st strategic uh, roadmaps or product roadmaps. And um, so far, the, the the feedback we get from customers is is really humbling and positive, but. We have a long, long road ahead, I would say. The, the product is still at a relatively early stage, in my personal view uh, and objective view as a founder. I ask you again in 10 years and you will still say, oh, <laughs> always, you know, it's, it's, go it's going there, but it's not yet, you know. <laughs> so if that changes, it would be, would be sad, right? Yeah, yeah. So one of the one of the secrets really for us is, um, since a lot of students are listening, uh, is really that one one thing we did since we started the company is we shipped every single week. So we have, we have like a, a mantra at pitch that is, it's called every week, every single Tuesday, there's a train coming, a release train and our product teams can jump on it or not. Um, and they can deliver new features, new improvements, bug fixes. And we've really optimized our company for those weekly releases. And that is, the critical success factor, the most important success factor for our company so far, because everyone we hire and onboard 
has to live and breathe this like weekly release cadence. Um, and we actually optimize this now to even daily uh, in the near future. Uh, now that we're almost almost 200 people, we, we feel like we can actually ship new stuff every single day. And I think in our industry where the code you write can literally be overwritten the next day. Uh, so everything you, you create can disappear uh, in, in a matter of weeks or months or years. It's extremely important that you optimize for constant velocity. You just ship new stuff all the time and you're never afraid to get rid of something you might have created in the past. So velocity is, is I think, really important and for us the most important thing of all. Yeah, I think I can only uh, confirm that. I think we, uh, our team has invested a lot recently to make sure we can uh, and do also ship daily, um, actually multiple times a day sometimes. And it's been a huge effort to get there um, because uh, you can imagine when you have bigger clients, everything gets a bit more complicated because uh, we have, I would, you know, we have thousands of smaller customers, but then also we have like 600, 700 bigger brands as customers, like bigger um, installations where they are actually using it, you know, globally for the whole company. And, and that sometimes is like 70,000 people or so. And if we break this, this can be uh, quite have a dramatic impact. So I think setting up the whole pipelines to be, so we're able to still be very fast, but then also have like all the options in place because every, even if you have testing, automated testing in place, like heavily, um, you can, it can still happen that something gets through. So you just need to ensure um, things are not rolled out to everyone right away. So we have kind of like rolling updates that run. It's a, it's a pretty cool system that they build where first a few customers get it, then a little bit more, then a little bit more, then a little bit more. So if we have lots of moments in time to kind of stop and roll back. Um, so I think having such a system in place, whether it's just being able to ship weekly or daily or whatever. But having that in mind is, I would agree that that's absolutely critical. And we lost this velocity somewhat in the middle, a little bit in the journey, because it's easy when you grow. I mean, Christian, I would be curious then how it looks like when you're a few people more even. I mean, you're big already, but uh, let's see how it develops. But it becomes more and more hard to maintain that velocity over time. Um, and I would be curious what your magic sauce is to that. Um, but yeah, going back to the customers, I think it just means that you have a ton of feedback, which is not coming from a high quantity necessarily, but you, it's, it's very hard to prioritize the right way, how you develop the product. So we're using a tool called product board. Some of you may know it. It's kind of like a product management tool, uh, where we get like, a thousand feedbacks or so per month and we kind of analyze them we group them we have user impact scores and we know which which segments of customers have which which requests and so on and but you know you can only build like a small portion of it so there's a lot of strategic thinking also involved behind sometimes you have to do something for the bigger ones for the few ones but then also for the masses and then also for this so that's a very difficult exercise so you need to have a very strong strategy in place 
which ensures you're moving in the right direction. Even if you go here and there, you have to do certain things. So it's still aligned and, and you're not making compromises by saying this customer wants to pay me a ton of money. If we build this, then you say no, because it's not, it's not part of your strategy to go there. So you should be very uh, brave to not take the money at that point and continue following your, your path. Uh, there is a great uh, uh, page from the founder of Stripe. Uh, yeah, so the the founder of Stripe, Patrick, uh, puts uh, put this website out of like all sorts of crazy projects that have been delivered in record time uh, from like first version of JavaScript, which has been built in like 10 days, or I think the iPod, which... Uh, from ideation to to like selling this thing yeah. to 290 days so uh, i i find that to be a really inspiring source uh uh for like realizing that whatever you can imagine can actually be built and done uh, uh I, i'm not an expert in how to scale teams and and keep everyone fast i can only say really what works for us and uh Since I also invest in, in companies occasionally, I do see that some companies are brilliant at shipping stuff really, really quickly and others just take forever. And one, I think, philosophy we've developed at, at, during our, uh, or through our experiences with Wonderlist and, and, and Microsoft was uh, what you really need to accomplish is to form small elite teams with engineers, designers, marketers, and like get them together and keep them lean. Um, uh, I think uh, Jeff Bezos had this saying that there should never be a team bigger than like bigger than like two pizzas. Uh, you need, if you need, if you need, if you need more than two pizzas for, for a team to feed everyone, uh, then it, the team is too big. So uh, I think for us, it's like, Every single team we create at pitch has to be small and elite. Like really, how big are your teams, Christian? Because we we do it the same way, but like ours are like always one product manager, one designer, um, and then four to six developers is one. Yes, same same with us. Team. It's interesting that you said also the you have the marketers in. Do you have the marketers as part of the team, or do you have them just you know be assigned to the team and and be close to it, or do, are they like? actually part of the team uh depends uh i would say our product marketing team is extremely involved uh, and also our head of product marketing kate is one of the best i think in the industry in terms of like she knows every single software tool out there she has, she's super into the weeds and and understands what great software looks like so she's talking to customers she's testing the tools uh the the software so They're technically not really part of the individual teams, but they're like part of almost every team. Okay. But it, it, it was just interesting to know, like, you know, if you have like, if you do it in, a, in that way that you incorporate them truly into those teams, yeah. or if, if they're more like as you have a separate product marketing team that exactly. is just kind of organizing around what those teams are building. Yeah. Okay, then it's the same, yeah. Great. Um, well, we have a few questions here in the chat, so maybe we can go over a few of those. Um, so the first one here is what kind of funding advice can you give to those of us who are already working on a startup or startup idea based on your experience or those of other entrepreneurs that you know? Um, and then maybe this looks different uh, in different uh, places. So maybe Europe versus the U.S., for example. 
I've, I think um, fundraising is a whole different beast. I think we could uh, we could probably talk ages just about this topic. <laughs> um, I think in the end it's about I think it's a decision, a clear decision between taking um, VC money or not. Um, I think these are two different paths. Um, when you when you want to raise, I think what I learned is. In my opinion, it's all about like you, you as a founder need to be able to, or as founders, you need to be able to show your passion and that spark in your eye that you're burning for solving this problem and obviously back that up with facts. Um, uh, so I think in the super early days, I can remember I was actually no one really cared um, what I'm doing, you know, when, when you go out and I mean, the first 50K I, 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 I got through a connection and then, and then talking to investors was super hard. So I learned, I mean, you realize by yourself when you feel confident in racing and when you feel confident in racing, I think then you will also show that confidence to, to the relevant investors. And then it becomes so much easier. So in the beginning, it's more like you want something from them and, and they don't care. And then once you are confident enough, then it's the other way around, or at least on, on eye level, which makes things just much more easy. But um, I, I felt that it's much harder in the early days to raise money than it is in the later stages. And and I think uh, after after the Series A, at least, uh, you should be able to show actual commercial or number results. Before that, it's a bit more on, on the potential team product side. But I don't know, Christian, you, you also raised a ton of money, so maybe you have a, a little bit more insights there uh, yeah so i think the question was like what kind of advice would we give founders who want to raise funding um i think the first thing i first advice i would give is the best investment opportunities for for funds but also angel investors uh teams that can build their own products from day one so if i would be I would start something. I would not try to raise funding on uh, day one. I would rather invest into like designing the vision or building concepts, uh, building prototypes, maybe writing the first version of the software. And I, that's the same thing I did. And I think uh, lots of uh, a lot of the most successful founders do the exact same thing. They just um, build their software and get started. And uh, so that would be my advice. Don't even think about funding. And then if you have a working prototype, reach out to seed funds in your home country, in, in Europe, in the US, get feedback. Don't be afraid to get killed uh, in terms of uh, getting critical, critical feedback. Um, I've heard everything from like, uh, I don't know, I have a lack of commercial sense or no ability to lead a team or I'm horrible at pitching. Like I got every little piece of, or every possible critical feedback you can get. I've, I guess I got at one point in my career. So it's like build the company or build the product you imagine, uh, or at least build a prototype and design concept, then talk to investors. Don't be afraid to get destroyed and raise um, when the time is right. Um, uh, yeah, but, uh, at a later stage, I mean, I guess this was about seed funding, uh, later on, it's all about, can you actually execute and, and make that product a reality? Can you hire a team? Can you attract top talent? So, yeah, I think raising funding at a later stage is all about traction and product excellence. 
Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, we have another question here that is, how important is culture to your company and how does this influence your brand? Um, so for us, it's changed. Uh, so I think the company culture is extremely important, if not the most important thing, right? Uh, a, a culture of product excellence, uh, maybe autonomous work, uh, inspiring work. You really just want to join a company to do the best work of your life. And you want to work with amazing people uh, that are kind, supportive, but also really critical and give you honest, honest feedback um, to improve. So the culture for us is extremely important, but we don't try to invent it or support it even. So um, in my early days, I always thought, the culture is something that uh, I need to define or write down and, and tell everyone about it. Uh, and now, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years into my career, I'm like, you know what? The culture is just the people. It's the result of the people you get on board. And uh, especially the early hires you make, the more kind and supportive and senior those people are, the better chance, the better is your chance at creating an amazing company culture uh, long term. And if you want to maintain a positive uh, and fun culture, then you need to continue to hire the right people. So the, 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 the people that you put in place to hire your talent, the bigger your team grows, need to be on brand, basically. They need to understand what are your values? What do you stand for? What do you want to stand for? And you should only hire people that live and breathe your values in a way, uh, naturally, not because those are your values. They should stand for it uh, themselves. Yeah, so culture, extremely important, of course. I like how you use the, the term on brand. <laughs> that's that's really what it's all about. Um, and I think it's it's... It's interesting that you say that because I think it's something that we, we say that in the onboarding, actually, when I do onboarding with, with the new employees, we have one vision and strategy session, which is more like also get to know and the get together. But in there, I also show like, you know, I show values, which are part of the identity, but then I also say like, you know, what people are doing wrong or in many companies are do not understand is, that you're not defining what a culture is. And then you say like, this is now how you should behave. So it's exactly how Christian uh, framed it. It's when, when it's, it's an extract, it's a documentation pretty much of, of, of the people that are already there. And it means that when you're hiring and people are not compatible with those values, then you didn't hire right. Um, so I think it's not something that should be put on. Uh, that's why like this presentation about company values and, and these f folders where the identity is in and so on, or posters and so on. I mean, you can do that to celebrate how the culture is, but it doesn't help to, to ingrain it into the people. So you should think about it early enough when you do your first hires. You need to think about yourself. What kind of company culture do you want to build? Because the influence of the founder, uh, Christian, um, you correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously because you hire the first people, but then also your behavior yeah. is, is, is extremely relevant to um, how the culture is, is built, especially in the early days. And someone told me one day that you built the you can change the culture until you are around a hundred people. 
and then it's kind of done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like sure, then there is adaptations and you need to flex it and so on. But I think if you've built a great culture until you're a hundred people, then you have an extremely strong foundation going forward, which because it's so much in the DNA of the company that it's not easy that things like a pandemic or an economic downturn or bad times in general can turn things around. Then you have a strong culture, strong team that will go through that all together. Okay. Um, so we actually just have time for a couple more questions. Um, so I'll read one, another one from the chat, which is what is the greatest challenge and the greatest reward of being an entrepreneur? Um, oh, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> I would say the greatest reward is freedom. Uh, you can do whatever the hell you want. Um, I mean, you're kind of forced into a framework anyway by the company you create. Uh, um, and the greatest risk is probably to be completely lonely, like uh, being the CEO of a company, the founder of a company. Like The great advantage everyone else has is to pick a job at the company they want to work for. And if, if the company stinks that you work for, you just pick another one. Um, and if you're a founder and a CEO, you you can't. <laughs> you, <laughs> you uh, if you dislike yeah, you, the you can, but it's <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> uh, so I uh, I would say uh, being a founder, um, you can be incredibly lonely. It can be a very isolating role, very isolating job. At the same time, you, it might gives you unlimited freedom if you if you do it well. Mm. I think to add to that, um, I think challenge-wise, I would agree. I think it's not easy because even though if you're a humble person who likes to be approachable, like probably both of us are, it still is the case that you become the CEO and of a larger company and you have new people joining. And it's just like you, you that there's just a lot of distance somewhat, even though if you don't want it, but it gets created implicitly and that makes it uh, sometimes a bit more difficult. But you can get around that with the right support, I think, coaching, whatever, um, to, to, to get around that. So do not, and it's important to tackle it with your personality to, to get, that you can handle it well. I think on the reward side, besides freedom, um, I think I, I, I ask myself this question a lot. What would I do after this, you know? If, if that's probably there is a moment one day. So, and then I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, at the moment, I, I, I truly enjoy this opportunity because, you know, the thing is you have so many, I mean, we have an office in New York with nearly 40 people. So uh, we have an office in London. We have people all around the world. It's, it's, it's so freaking interesting to see all those great people joining the company and see what they built and like having teams that are able to execute like ideas and, 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 and doing that like in a, in an, in an excellent way, get, get, having access and having influence and impact on brands you admire since your childhood. These are all things that are incredibly rewarding for me personally. It's also. In addition to that, the opportunity that people listen to you. So in, in our case here, in our region here, so we were talking Eastern Switzerland, it's not something that exists. It's not Berlin. It's not San Francisco. It's not New York. So there's not many of those companies. So 
I have the opportunity and our members of the team have the opportunity that to talk and share their views on things and have an impact on how future companies are built or how maybe more conservative companies are evolving. And I, I like that a lot. Um, so to kind of give a fresh mindset into a very, very, let's say, yeah, more conservative world. Um, so I think that's also a big reward uh, that I see. Great. And now for our final question, because we are running out of time. Um, so, of course, The Wagon is a coding boot camp, and we have batches graduating actually next Friday. <laughs> so a lot of them are taking their first steps into the world of tech. So uh, I was wondering if you could tell them one piece of advice uh, jumping in into this this new world. I'm trying to think what I can add to what I've already said, which is try to join a startup. Um, what I would add maybe is think about moving to a technology hub. I mean, we're living in an interesting world now where, where you can literally start a company anywhere on the planet, uh, no matter if you're living in like a big city or in a tiny village uh, or you live at the beach, it doesn't matter. You can start internet companies from anywhere. But I think the value of collaborating with a small team uh, in the same office every single day for a year or so is, is massive. And I think if, if you want to be a great programmer, you need to become a master of your craft. That's one thing, but you also need to be able to learn how to collaborate effectively with uh, other craftsmen or other craftswomen. Um, and you need to understand how to collaborate with designers and marketers and really understand their passion as well. And, and how you can, if you then want to become an entrepreneur and start something, you basically need, just need to understand all the disciplines and how to form form them, form a union and get them to, uh, to work together. And that's, I think the easiest way to accomplish that is by working on something innovative in a small setting or with a small team. What I, uh, what I could add here is just like, I think one way to, to practice that a little bit is by starting some side projects that, I mean, I did that a few times, some of them more successful than others. <laughs> But uh, in general, I think trying to build those mini companies that are actually not companies, because when you, when you, when you, I did like betting games for the community or did like, uh, you know, a, a TV schedule software, or I did a, um, like a color theming tool for, for a coding environment. I don't know, like tons of little things. And when you do that, I think you have to basically go through all the things a little bit that then you need to do at scale when you build a company. So you need to think about the product, obviously you need to architect it, you need to design it, you need to, to build it, you need to tell to other people that this is amazing, you need to market it somehow, you need to make sure people are using it, you need to listen to their feedback. Um, and so I think it's a good exercise to take something that you're really passionate about and yeah, build a little side project because then you don't have to has you know, the problem of making money or anything like that. You know, that's not important at that point, but you can ex you can, uh, you can train those little thingies. And last thing that I wanted to add is 
I, I did this on like a business plan workshop one day. I, I'm really bad in, I never wrote really a business plan. So, um, that's another story, but you I did use that. A pitch for, to create a pitch deck. Yeah. Nowadays, <laughs> but you know, that's like a long time ago. And the, 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 the teacher, uh, there was a two week course and, and the teacher there, he was, there was only business people in the room and me as a developer. So some like, you know, researchers and scientists and stuff like that. And I was the only developer and I was a little bit afraid of, you know, can I sell, can I market things? Can I do all these things? And he said, it's way easier for you to learn these things than it is for the other people to code at the level you code. And I think that really stick to my mind. I'm not sure if that's still true today because there's lots of options for everyone to learn coding, but I do believe that the, that it's easier this way around than the other way around. And that's why I think we should be, if you're a developer, you should be confident that you can do all those things. Don't worry. You will learn them. You know, whether it's a finance plan or a competition analysis or anything like that, you will be able to do it. Um, I think that's more like my advice to not be too, yeah, to not be afraid of jumping into those topics because you think you haven't studied or you, you, you haven't learned about economics really or something like that. You will do it. Thank you for listening to The Wagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe.